Hey, badasses. Welcome to this week's Badass Ladies Club episode. I'm Laurie. This is my friend Jessica. Hey, guys. And uh, we are here for it today. So uh, episode seven, uh, we're getting into our group here with Badass Ladies Club and are so excited about the love and support and inspiration that we're getting from all of y'all out there. We want you to share episodes that really resonate with you, with your friends and family, obviously rate and review the podcasts if you love them, because that really sends the message uh, to us that you're into what we're talking about. We want you to get on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and uh, tell us what you want to hear. Tell us things that we forgot about. Tell us things um, that you disagreed with us about or that we were totally on point with because... We can take it. Yeah, we, uh, we're getting tough, y'all. Um, <laughs> this whole process... Uh, Try hurting our Yeah, feelings. is definitely uh, giving us the thick skin that we need to be able to get through to... Uh, to the breakthroughs that are coming on the other end of this healing journey. So uh, today we are going to talk about imposter syndrome, which is something that I don't know that I knew there was a word for it until I knew there was a it's term a for it. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, I have imposter syndrome in a major way. So imposter syndrome is a general feeling that you don't belong, that everyone is going to find out that you're a fake or a fraud and that you don't deserve your accomplishments, your job, the things that you've worked hard for. Um, so before we get into imposter syndrome, uh, it's time for us to talk about this week's badass of the week, which I'm going to point out for the first time is not a lady. <gasps> You're right. That's kind of awesome, but oh, funny that, yeah, this is gosh. our first badass. That's and I'm so excited to be able to be the one to introduce this person yes. because he is one of my favorite speakers I have ever heard. And I've heard a lot of speakers. <laughs> it's true. Science Mike. I love Science Mike. Are if you, you have not had the pleasure of knowing or listening to science, Mike, he is a science expert, film and TV consultant, best-selling author and public speaker. Laurie and I have had the pleasure of hearing him speak at our William edge tribal forum with our salon. And, um, at the time he was promoting his book, finding God in the waves. It's a really good book. It is. I mean, brought me to tears. Hearing him speak brought me to tears and his story is just so incredible. He, uses empathy and deep scientific insights to navigate the most difficult parts of the human experience. And he, I think I had lunch with him that day. You did. You were, he yeah. sat, he sat at, um, our table mm -hmm. and I, I felt a deep connection with him and Laurie and I, I didn't even think about this that we may talk about this one day. Laurie and I have a friend who got into some trouble mm -hmm. and, um, had to go away for a little bit. Yep. <laughs> and I had talked to her about her spirituality and her journey. And when we heard science, Mike speak, I just thought of her yeah. and I said, she needs to hear this. Yeah. So I reached out to him and this was after, um, he had spoken to us at tribal forum and I asked him, could you send me a book with you know, signed with a message for my friend? This is the situation she's in. And I feel like she really needs to hear you. And he did. Um, unfortunately I could not send her that gift, um, 
because it was a hardback book. Oh, right. <laughs> They've got rules about they that kind of thing. They have rules about that inside, kind of thing yeah. where she is. And, um, but that I showed it to her, you know, and I told her that this is waiting for you when, um, you're ready to have it. And so that's going to be a little bit from now. Um, but I'm still, it's, it's in my guest bedroom and I'm still just so excited to deliver this message to her. Finding God in the waves was a really big light bulb moment for me and aha moment. It brought me to my knees really. You know what I love about science, Mike, is that he really bridges this gap because, you know, we, we need to work on an episode about spirituality. Um, Mm -hmm. It's obviously a huge piece of healing and something that everybody has some kind of baggage, you know, that they bring into the spirituality conversation. Uh, You and I are not unique where that's concerned. Um, But that Science Mike really comes at uh, things that are so heavily emotional with a sense of humor and a sense of realism and something that, you know, because I like like facts. Mm-hmm. I like, um, and I think it's part of why I like science. I, I like things that can be proven and that you can show me evidence of, you know, those things are critical to, um, to my understanding and just the way that I compute things. And he is great at giving you those things, but also about pointing out that there are some things in your life that are not going to be that cut and dry and not going to be that black and white. That, yeah, that I think that people think that because you're a person of faith, that means you don't believe in science. And if you believe in science, that means you're not a person of faith. And he bridges that gap. Yes. And I'm science, Mike, we're inviting you on. We would love to have you on. We want you on the podcast. We want you to share um, your message and your energy. Uh, It's infectious and awesome. We will be excited if we could make that happen. Uh, We're he, begging you. He's getting a badass box. Yes. It will be the motivation uh, to get him on this show. So, yeah. yay. Um, oh, but the reason why we named Mike for this um, episode is because I actually, after the fact, did um, a little webinar that he put on. And I forgot he, that. He's the one who kind of introduced me to this imposter syndrome. Yes. And I remember telling you like, hey, I did that Science Mike webinar and he was talking about this imposter syndrome. So Science Mike, you kind of inspired this episode. Yeah. Um, so imposter syndrome is so interesting because I feel like it when we've talked to other people about it, that a lot of people don't even know what that means or... Um, or that it's an actual thing that is chronic. So I guess it's sort of the situation where like you have it or you don't. If you don't have it, then, you know. Lucky. Right, lucky you. Um, <laughs> What's that like? But that for people who feel like a fraud or feel like a fake, like I can definitely speak to this idea that I always was like, oh, so I'll just show up and try. <laughs> and a lot of times that works out. But even if it does work out that I still think, okay, well, that only worked out because everybody wasn't really paying attention to how not enough I am, you know? And, uh, so that chronic voice that's in your head, that's telling you, oh, they're all going to find you out someday. And when they do, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have this love, this recognition, this job, this money, you know? And, um, it's, 
it's a crippling yeah. thing. Um, so I read a Time Magazine article from 2018 that estimated that about 70% of people experience imposter syndrome. So it is kind of surprising when we have brought it up to people that they're like, what is that? And I'm like, statistically, more people should, <laughs> should know, know what this is. <laughs> um and so I want to give credit where it's due. Obviously, Laurie and I are not experts. Um, so a lot of today's podcast is drawn from this article and the International Journal of Behavioral Science that we're so pulling official. from. So official. Yeah. So um, there are different like uh, labels and levels of imposter syndrome. Um, there's the perfectionist, the expert the natural genius, the soloist, and the Superman or Superwoman, which, spoiler I'm, alert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got that Superwoman yeah. <laughs> complex right here. Yeah. Uh, so let's just pick, I mean, which one do you identify the most? When I was reading through them, I was like, oh, that's me. Oh, no, wait, that one's me. <laughs> um, hold on. This one is me. Um so it's really, it, it's hard for me all to decide all of the above, I would say. Um, but I know which one you are. I, tell me about it. You are a superwoman. I mean, so the superwoman complex is, uh, it's people who push themselves because they know that they have to work harder than everyone else around them to prove that they're not imposters. So if we're talking about being a makeup artist, for instance, that I know I'm not as good of a makeup artist as the person next to me. So I'm going to work 10 times as hard as they do because I need to prove that I can do as well. Um, and that that's not a realistic point to come from, you know, and that, that I don't have to work that hard to be worthy of, uh, what it is that I'm doing. So that's part of my own, like superwoman imposter. Yeah. So now that I'm reading through these, if I had to pick one, mm -hmm. I would say that I fall under the expert. Okay. Um, it's feeling the need to know every piece of information before you start a new project or a job. Um, and that, I might be hesitant to ask a question because if I look stupid, that doesn't make me the expert. Okay. And that I have to be looked at as the expert that whenever I learn a new technique for, um, you know, behind the chair stuff, um, I'm not one of those that I'm like, get me a mannequin head, get me a model. I'm just gonna mix up a color and do, do it. it that I have to, draw it. I have to map it out. I have to know to get from A to Z and that because hair color is, you know, scientific for sure. Chemistry. Yeah. That I have to know every possible outcome because if some bump in the road happens along the way, I have to know I have, I'm the expert. Yeah. I have to know what to do and how to fix it. So before even physically diving in, I have to intellectually know what's ahead of me. I think we were just talking about this a little bit yesterday where I was like, I'm kind of okay jumping ahead first, not knowing what I'm getting into. And I'm like, you, no, nope. you're like, no, Laurie, we need to know more. Like, yes, um, that I'm a very, oh, I, I have to intellectually know it and, um, be proficient in it to, before I put it into practice. Okay. So we've, uh, we've identified our <laughs> patterns a little bit, uh, now. 
So I guess the other interesting thing that we found out about our own personal imposter syndromes is that if you look at the trajectory of our careers anyway, that we're kind of feeling like imposters about opposite things. Um, yeah, it was so interesting to talk about it. There's so many things we're learning about each other that we never knew until we started to break this down. But We've been friends forever. For a long time. Uh, but that when I decided that I wanted to go into uh, the education path with makeup and I was really inspired by the idea of teaching makeup. Um, what I knew about myself was that I was really not scared of getting up in front of a room of people and talking, you know, like that whole public speaking fear that so many people have, like, I don't have that. I, um, actually really love being on stage. I was also a theater kid, but not very good at acting or singing. Um, but the rush of being on stage in front of people was really my thing. And so, um, I liked debate. I liked, you know, like to speak. And so when I got the opportunity to be a teacher, I was like, yes, I could, I could do this and feel good about it. But makeup was new to me. The being in front of people was not new to me. And so I knew that I wasn't a good enough makeup artist to be standing in front of people, trying to teach people how to do makeup. But I knew that I was so good at delivering a message and I knew that if I had a structure of how to teach that I could deliver the information in a way that it would be impactful. And so the manufacturer that I worked with obviously had a very structured system that they wanted us to teach from, which for me was great because I was like, yes, give me all of the curriculum. I will, because I'm the superwoman, I will work 10 times as hard to make sure that I know every detail, that I can execute every single step, that I could answer any question that might come at me. And so my imposter syndrome or my inferiority complex around that was that I'm not a very good makeup artist, but I'm a really good teacher. And so I will be the best teacher that I can be. And I will inspire people on so many different levels that maybe if my makeup isn't as good, it'll be okay anyway, you know? And I ran with that idea, like not just for the first year I taught, but like 10 years into teaching, I was still like, and I would tell people, I, I'm sure you took some of my makeup classes. You've probably heard me say that I'm not an artist by nature and that I'm not very good at painting or drawing or art in general, but I am good at a 3D palette, you know, that I'm better on faces than I am on canvases. None of that shit is true. <laughs> it's so interesting because that's how I met you. Yeah. I The way Laurie and I met 11 years ago was that she was my makeup teacher. Isn't that crazy? That is so crazy. <laughs> Look how much we've grown. I know. Um, and then I've heard you say so many times over the years, like, I'm really not that good. And I'm like, Laurie Wallace. <laughs> like, I just, that is not true. So for me, but that your imposter syndrome comes from working one-on-one -on -one with a canvas, that the technical part of doing makeup is where I feel like I'm the weakest. And so I'm way more intimidated by working on like in a technical aspect with the actual clients. Mm -hmm. But the idea of getting up in front of other professionals and teaching them how to do something, I'm not at all afraid of. Exact opposite for me. <laughs> like we could not be more opposite on how we feel about this because I feel like with one-on-one -on -one with a client that, um, I'm very comfortable and that with my clients, I'm just very honest. And I'm like, look, we're working against X, Y, Z with your hair. So it may turn out like this. 
it may turn out like that. I don't know. I won't know till I get my hands in it. So I feel like I set myself up for this like realistic expectation, realistic yeah. expectation where I under promise and over deliver. And so all my clients are for the most part, really happy. Um, that of course, sometimes things happen that are out of my control, like with right. box color or henna or, you know, any of that crap that you do not need to be doing at home, by the way. Um, just making Jessica's life difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that I'm really good at delivering realistic expectations with guests. So I feel like I set myself up for like, so you can't be mad at me when this doesn't turn out the way you want Sorry it to, <laughs> that this may take multiple sessions and a lot of money to get from A to Z. But when I am teaching and I love teaching, by the way, I, I, God, I love my educator role, but that sometimes people ask such specifically weird questions that I'm like, I don't know how to answer that. And now they must think I'm a dumbass. And now they must be like, well, Jessica doesn't know. So why should I listen to anything she has to say? And that, um, I somehow feel like my, uh, you know, 13 years experience uh, that there are other hairdressers who have lived more, done more, seen more, um, charge more that I'm like, you should be learning from them, but guess what? I'm your teacher today. Right, here and so here we are <laughs> lucky you, um, that, yeah, I just, I, I have this real big inferiority complex when I'm teaching that I'm like, I'm already sorry that I'm the one <laughs> delivering you this information. Sorry you have to learn from me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that I also know that the people who I have had the privilege of teaching really look up to me mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. And that, um, I have gotten better as I get further into my career about saying, look, I don't have all the answers, but if I don't have an answer, I will do my best to do the research. Yeah. I will ask around that. I really don't have a problem with, you know, if a student asks me a question, I don't have a problem with saying, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to get you the answer to that by the end of the class. So yeah. just give me a minute. Um, so I am getting better at it, but I'm still like, they must think I'm really stupid. <laughs> well, in to speak to that, like the idea that I'm not good enough to do makeup with a client after doing makeup for 20 years is, you know, like that what I know now is that makeup is very technical and that techniques can be taught and that the more you practice techniques, the better you get at them. And the more that you do them on different faces and, you know, textures and tones and everything like that, I would have to be trying to not be good to not yeah. be good right now, you know, yeah. like, um, but it doesn't change the imposter syndrome because there are people always there. that are naturally amazing makeup artists, people that are my students sometimes, you know, that I see them without a lot of traditionally foundational training, but still the work that comes out of their hands is amazing, you know? And so when I compare my experience to that, I'm like, oh my God, look how amazing they are and they're just getting started, you know, yeah. and I know how hard I had to work to even get to where they're at, you know, right now. And that, that is, um, it's a really weird idea. And now that, um, I've gotten a little bit older, I've 
really tried on this idea of like being an artist in other modalities. So I have been, you know, it's one of the things that I did in quarantine is I painted. I had paints and brushes and canvases before all that. I just didn't paint much because I didn't think I was very good at it. And I don't like being bad at things, you know, like that. No, I know it's really hard for me. (laughs) Um, But that I'm not bad at painting either. And I'm actually pretty good at some parts of it that in that one cactus one that you did I love it I love that and I would hang that up in my own home it's really awesome so it was just a story yeah it was some stupid story I don't even know where the story came from you know but it totally it reflected so heavily in this idea that I wasn't good enough and that I didn't deserve the job and that eventually somebody at my manufacturer or somebody in my salon was going to find out that I wasn't as good as they thought I was. And they're going to be like, maybe we shouldn't have given this girl this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I then feel that it was all going to come crumbling regular. down, you know? Yeah. And so that's the part of imposter syndrome that I think is really interesting to dive into that sometimes, and you know, we're still, I say I'm 20 years in, there are people who have 40 or 50 year careers in, you know, any industry that still feel this way today. And, um, like you would talk about, uh, even stand-up comedians who, you know, have been doing stand-up for 40 years. Like they still get on that stage and get behind that microphone and have that feeling of not being good enough. Yeah. Um, so there was this one time where, um, Billy, our boss, mm-hmm. William Edge, uh, he kind of like contracted a job out for me. Remember I had that hookup with, um, the powder group. Oh yeah. Where you got to go teach where I got to. So it was a class for makeup artists to learn how to do hair, you know, um, if a hairstylist wasn't available. Well, because the way editorial work is going is that no one wants to hire two people, right? You just hire one person. They want to hire one person that can do both. So this age of having a hair artist and a makeup artist is kind of dying in the industry. And so they want us to be able to do all the things and become generalists. So, um, we have this connection with the powder group, which is such an amazing group. And we'll be talking more about them in later episodes, um, that the powder group needed someone to teach these makeup artists how to do hair in a situation. And, uh, so Billy contacted me and I was thrilled to be able to do it, but that as I arrived and I started setting up and I, uh, was kind of getting that jittery feeling, I was like, are these people going to walk away from this class and say, really, William Edge, this is the best you have. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I was so nervous. And remember I called you after that class mm-hmm. and you were like, how'd it go? And I, it really was a great class, but that I was really surprised by one of the expectations, you know, before you start a class, you always ask your students, okay, so what are the expectations today? what do you absolutely need me to cover? And one of my students said, can you go over sanitation measures? And I thought that I'd be teaching how to do like a chignon, a French twist, how to bobby pin correctly. And I'm like, oh my God, this girl wants to go into sanitation. Like I'm not the state board. I mean, obviously I know because I'm a licensed cosmetologist, but I was like, uh, 
you thought you were going to be teaching stuff way more uh, advanced and technical. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, are we even regulated to like when you're on location for something is sanitation even what? Okay. Hold on. What are we doing here? And I had to like back up and be like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, because I never think about it on location. I know how to sanitize in a salon and what those regulations are. But I was like, so when you're on a photo shoot, sanitation. Yeah. Okay. Let's think about this, you know? So, and it also was that you, not that you didn't have answers to that question. I just wasn't expecting. That is just not what you were planning on going into talking (laughs) about, which is so often the case when you teach classes is, um, you know, I, I remember being really surprised with the things that I ended up spending the most time on were not the things I went in prepared to spend time on, you know? Um, so you know what I remember about that class that you taught so much though, is I do remember you being really nervous, but I remember all the feedback that came from the people that took the class after the fact and how, how much better you felt, you know, because everybody was so like, oh my gosh, well, yeah. that girl, Jessica was amazing. Well, Cause that you know? one guy ran into Billy at the powder group, yes. um, summit uh-huh. and Billy texted me and was like, Devin said you were really great. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Whew. You know, and that it was a huge relief, but that I totally was like, they're going to be like, really William edge. This is the best you could throw at us. Like, and it was the best he could throw at them because you rocked it. But in your estimation of those things, like any time that I teach a class going into it, I'm, you know, a little concerned, but I always walk away and I'm like, oh my God, that was so easy and fun. Like, why was I freaking out about it? It's kind of the same situation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the other space I feel like in our careers where the imposter syndrome is like heavy and real is definitely working uh, for me was working runway shows. Um, Oh, yes. Because when I first got into makeup, like that was the gold crown at the end of the yellow brick road, you know, like if you get good enough and you play your cards, right, then you will get a shot to go to New York fashion week. And New York fashion week is the end all be all next to a Vogue cover. I would say, which are two totally different kinds of work, that editorial um, versus runway. There are two different types of work, but that it is the gold standard. So I know when I first started going to fashion week, it was with my manufacturer. And so again, back to my imposter syndrome, you know, I was like, okay, so I've tricked them into thinking I'm a good enough makeup artist to be on this team. And now because I'm on this team, I get to go to New York fashion week, which was more than I could have ever hoped for at the stage of my career that I started going. And I remember that the first time I did a show backstage, it may not even have been at fashion week. It may have been at a hair show or something like that. Um, my lead artist at the time, I mean, I was really nervous and I was really young, you know, and didn't really know what I was getting into and what I did. I don't even remember what the look was, but it was not good. And I'm pretty sure he was like, you need to take it off and do it over again, you know? And I cried. Um, (laughs) It, silently to myself as I put dirty brushes, you know, like back in my kit and then sucked it up and pulled myself back together and took it off and did it again. Um, but that sometimes you don't know how deep you are until you're in over your head. And I know that several times with runway, especially early on, I was like, Oh damn, Laurie, you're in over your head. But then I would do it and it would be fine, you know, and it wasn't always perfect. And that's why you have 
a lead artist there is to help guide you and um, put you in the right place. But once I got the hang of what runway makeup was all about, then I actually got kind of good at it, you know, and not just good, incredible. You've worked with, um, I've got to work with some really cool people. Really? I mean, I can't think of him. Are you talking about Horst? Well, yes, you got to work I with Horst. I got to work with Horst and he was great. Um, um, no, but uh, Pharrell? Did you do his line? <laughs> no, or, I didn't do his um, line. Russell Simmons, I think Russell was who you're talking about. Russell Simmons, yeah. yes. Um, um, that was a lot of years ago, but that was a really cool that collection. I was like, oh my gosh, Laurie just got to do Russell Simmons' line. Um, there was also a show that Usher was one of the models. And so I straight like got <gasps> to take a selfie with Usher. Much? Why have I not seen this picture? It's a really old picture. I'll pull it out and show it to you. Um, it's so funny because when you go to Fashion Week, everybody's like, oh my God, did you see any celebrities? And I never no. saw a celebrity. Like it was so I disappointing. Saw one when I was at New York Fashion Week in 2014, I was like, that guy's been on Law & Order SVU. <laughs> I'm sure he played like the criminal or, you know, something. But But I guess all of that to say, like, it was just something I hadn't done before. Yeah. And that, and because I've been so fortunate to be on this team with such amazing, inspiring makeup artists and that I do get the opportunity to go to fashion week as often as I can afford slash make time for. And with COVID, I desperately miss it. Like it's, well, that was our plan this year was we were going to go work Um, New York fashion week and that I've even had the opportunity to lead a couple of, you know, like smaller circuit shows. And then, you know, there are other cities that do fashion week besides New York, you know, like we've done, you know, Nashville, I've been to Miami, I've done, you know, like different things that it's, um, it's so cool to come together and create something with a bunch of different artists, um, in a look, but that every time I've gone, I've been imposter style nervous about it. Yeah. I, uh, so my New York fashion week experience was completely insane. <laughs> First of all, year. I was asked to go, yeah. which was such an honor that, so for those of you who don't know exactly how fashion week typically works, you got to pay to go. I mean, it's an expense for the most part. I mean, there are situations like I, I was given an opportunity. 99.99999% of the people that go to fashion week are taking money out of their own pocket to travel, stay there. Yes. Eat. Like you don't get paid to go to fashion. Week. Right. And I, um, I still, you know, well, it was such a long time ago that I'm like, well, I've slept since then, but <laughs> that I, so I didn't have to pay my way to go. I was given this opportunity. I was asked to go. So I already had a lot of pressure as far as that goes, is that I already felt like I don't deserve to be here because I'm surrounded by artists who had to pay thousands of dollars to take the class, mm-hmm. to pay for their flight, pay for their hotel. And here I am on a free ride right. that these people are like, who's this chick, you know, mm-hmm. um, when nobody knew you were there on a free ride. Right. No one had to know. <laughs> you were the only I one that knew. knew that. Yeah. Um, it was a less than 24 hour trip. It was a quick trip. Yeah. I, it, in a blink of an eye, um, I literally was there for the show, got to walk around Times Square a little bit, sleep, go home, go home the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to have the incredible opportunity to work with Charlie Price, who is a huge 
person in our industry. He was on sheer genius. I forgot what season, the one with Tabitha. Um, and so you want to talk about pressure, (laughs) um, celebrity stylist, New York fashion, that I was like, holy whirlwind trip. Um, and I will say I, I learned a lot on that trip, but that I had this fear of, anyone looking at me and being like, this chick is way in over her head. She does not deserve to be here. But guess what? I did my models. They all looked great. They were amazing. And the point of a runway show is that all the models have to look like they were done by one person, even though they were done by 10 people. Right. And there's one look, right? You do not deviate. One look, you do not deviate from the look that, you know, everyone's like, Oh, that's so cool and creative. I'm like, actually there's no like Mm -hmm. room for creativity in runway. Like you do what your lead tells you to do. And if you go off from that, you're in big trouble. I learned it the hard way. Ask me how, (laughs) um, that's another story though. So, but, um, before I ever got to go to New York fashion week, I was at an airport, um, while I was at DFW going to Detroit for a wedding. Oh my God. I love this story. I forgot about this. <laughs> and it was like a 6am flight and I am there in my pajama pants, my Elton John t-shirt. I had a tiny bit of makeup on, but nothing that I, that was representative of myself or my brand because it's 6am at an airport. What insane person shows up at an airport looking ready to go. I'll 2020 tell you Jessica, like, well, this was 2014. I know, but in 2020 you would show up. Well, in 2020 yes. I would, yes. because guess who taught me this lesson? <laughs> there I am sitting at the gate and I look over and there's Tim Gunn from no. project runway. Stop it. And I was freaking out and I'll never forget. Aaron was like, just go over there. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, it's Tim Gunn. Oh my God. Tim Gunn. Like the ultimate fashion, you know, I, Oh God, like you work with Heidi Klum. What? You make know? it work, like, man. Make like, it work. Yes. Um, and I think that his team of people saw me like hesitating. Like I would walk over there and then I'd walk away and then I'd walk <laughs> over there and then I'd walk away. And one of the girls on his team kind of like, you know, was like, okay, come on, come on. You know, she knew what I wanted. She was like, you can she come say knew. hi now. And so I go up to him and I'm like, oh, Mr. Gunn, um, what a pleasure. Oh my gosh. I'm a hairstylist and I'm about to do my first New York fashion week. And Tim Gunn was for the record, the nicest, sweetest. And there I was in my pajamas. <laughs> he, on the other hand, was in his tailored jeans, yeah. his blazer, his wingtip shoes. He looked so on point. And I looked like a garbage human (laughs) that I was so embarrassed. And so thank you, Tim Gunn, for the lesson that no matter where I am, I'll never know who I meet. I'll never never know know the opportunity that could be presented to me. Um, And I'll say, like, it's not like Tim Gunn was like, you know, here's my number. Let's, you know, but I wish. Um, But that he was so gracious and kind and gave me pointers on New York fashion week and what it would be like. And he wasn't wrong. He said it would be a whirlwind and it it really, really was. Um, was he polite enough to not point out your pajamas? He was super polite enough not to point out my pajamas and it's big of him. I, I just, Oh my God. So embarrassed to even think that I met Tim Gunn in my pajamas, 
but um, that I felt like, Jessica, who are you to be talking to Tim Gunn at 6 a.m. in an airport? I mean, look at him. He is a vision. (laughs) And here you are in your pajama pants, which I'm pretty sure had holes in them. Um, I think my saving grace was the Elton John shirt. I'm sure that that didn't hurt things. Um, (laughs) Something tells me that Tim's an Elton fan. Um, But I also think that that's hella brave of you because I probably would not have gone. I'd been like, I am not dressed for this. Like I would have used it as an excuse to shy away. I couldn't pass up that opportunity. Uh, Yes. So then we land in Detroit and we're both at baggage claim and I'm watching him from across (laughs) the room and I see him pulling these trunks off the, um, conveyor, you know, Mm -hmm. and, or the carousel. And I was like, I can only imagine all the beautiful pieces of clothing that are in those trunks. And I so badly wanted to act like we were best friends and be like, so what are you, you you know, um, but I didn't, you know, what I think is so, uh, relevant about that story to imposter syndrome is that as big as Tim Gunn was in your estimation and in your imagination, when you leaned in and you connected with him, he was just a person. He really was. And that he totally low key. Yeah. Low key. And probably has his own things that he's working on with being enough or feeling worthy, you know, like that people who operate at the top of their game that we put on this pedestal, whether they're celebrities or famous or we see them on TV, or they're just people in our lives that we're inspired by, um, that they are just people and that we tend to, especially when we fangirl out on them like that, um, that they become something different in our minds when, uh, we're all dealing with these feelings sometimes, you know, and that there's no difference between, you and Tim, he just decided to get up and work it that day, you know, and we can all get up and work it. And Lesson learned. Lesson Thank you, learned. Tim Gunn. Uh, that's a great story. I love um, it. Yeah. So, but imposter syndrome is, it's this reoccurring thing with you and I, as recent as this podcast. Whew, let me tell you, I've never been more aware of it since we started this <laughs> podcast. Um, well, because when we started talking about the podcast a long time ago, um, like I had mentioned in the first episode, it was always this like, yeah, sure. Maybe when I have time for that, whatever, Laurie, you know, I don't have time for it, but okay, let's dream. Yeah. A yeah. podcast sounds great. Is that I also was like, who cares what we're saying? Yeah. That it really hindered my ability to grow um, and think that I could do this. Yeah. I mean, I know that I was so back and forth because I definitely had that feeling of like, who do you think you are to think that you're going to get on air and that people are actually going to want to listen to what it is that you have to say. Um, But then I would immediately have a reverse feeling of, yeah, but you know who you are and you know that you have something to offer and you know how I I think a big part of wanting to do a podcast because, and I've talked about this before, like I've been looking for a medium to, um, to use. Like I have definitely started writing several books that I've not finished. I have, um, always wanted to like have a website and blog and, um, because I do process things in words a lot, you know? And so the, the idea of being a writer has always been so inspiring to me and I've always loved to do it that much, but the podcast idea, or, you know, I guess before there were podcasts, it was like having a radio show or something like that. Um, that I always knew I would, wouldn't want that to just be me. 
that I would want to have somebody to bounce off of, you know? So like Howard has Robin and, you know, like all of these ideas and that you and I, when we do jam down on subjects that we have a really great, um, chemistry and flow and talking about things that the more we did that the podcast idea got more and more realistic for me, but it didn't change the fact that I knew that I had a serious problem with my worthiness to do it, you know, and that the more we committed to this idea of, okay, so let's take actions now to make it happen. Every time we took an action, instead of just a conversation, it would rise up. And so, you know, we were talking before about like, we didn't really anticipate how much of a business that this would be, you know, before we started doing it. Um, businesses take investments of time of which you and I are limited on, you know? And so when I would make these big time investments and in putting this together, I would think, God, I really hope this isn't a waste of time. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I sure hope this works out because otherwise we've wasted all this time, you know, and that I have that in the back or that, um, you know, projects take money. And that when you get to the, you know, we've already discussed, like we like money uh, sometimes <laughs> and that any time that I've been in a space to invest money in this, that my internal voice is starting to change from that. Boy, this is stupid. You know, like, why are you investing time, money, space, energy into this thing that may not turn into anything? It's my narrative is starting to shift now to the um, every hour you put in is going to create more freedom and opportunity. You know, every dollar you invest is going to come back a hundredfold. And that um, we're doing this not to make money and we're doing this. Um, I mean, success is great, you know, like I'll take it, but to do it with a... That ideally that would be the goal. It would be the but... goal, but that doing it from a place of service where, yeah. which is what it's so deeply rooted in for me is that, I know that doing my own work is going to be great for me. And I know that me watching other people do the work through the podcasts that I listen to on other fronts or the teachers or the books that I read, you know, like when I'm seeing people doing their own work, that that is really inspiring for me and encouraging me to do the same thing. And I want to do that for people, you know, like I want to create that for people. And so the more I get connected to, we're doing this out of a place of service for ourselves and therefore for others, it really does squash that you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not enough. Who do you think you are to be doing this? Well, you know, and it's so funny the way that you view yourself sometimes, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've connected with people who I knew when I was really young, um, you know, and these were people who I thought, you know, maybe when I was younger and in high school that I was like, oh, she is way too cool for me. Like I can't hang out with her. I can't hang out with him or whatever. And that it's so funny that when you talk to people as adults that they're like, really, I always thought you were so confident and cool. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I was not confident and I most certainly wasn't cool, but that, um, it's nice to know that I played it off that way. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and I have Jackie to thank a lot for that because she'll just, you know, she's so good in knowing what I need to hear in the moment that it's kind of like that soul sister, like 
vibration that you feel across the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't live here, so we don't get to see her talk very often, but that she'll, she'll just know what I need. And she'll call me and say, Hey, you're so inspiring to me because you've done X, Y, Z. And I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you for putting this out there or doing this. And that that's an inspiration to me. And that because of conversations like that, I was like, okay, maybe people do want to hear or need to hear that you never know who is out there needing it or wanting it or listening to it that, um, I'm just a hairdresser, but that through being a hairdresser, I talk to people a lot. I'm very familiar with different life experiences and helping people work through that. And so I feel like a podcast was a natural next step, even though I'm a little like, they're going to find out that I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, but does anybody really? None of us do. And that's the um, freeing part about it, it, I suppose. Um, I also think that just the steps of, I don't know, like I feel like when we started talking about doing this, it was this really pie in the sky idea of what it would be about. But then we got to a certain point where we had recorded enough episodes that I was like, okay, so this whole idea of us like healing on air and talking about that to who knows, like five people or thousands of people, like who, you don't know how many people are going to listen. Um, that that was a really great idea in theory. I didn't think about it much in practice until we were neck deep in this process. Um, and now I feel like we're in our flow enough that I'm not so like afraid of it, but I'm not going to lie. Like, when our first episode was queued up and I could listen to it before it had launched, um, I definitely had like a full on panic attack where I was like, Oh damn, we're going to do this. Now it's out there and we can't take it back. The freight train has started and I am strapped to the tracks now and there is no getting out of this. And that part of, uh, that big ballsy risk, you know, that we were throwing out there, um, it feels really good now, you know, and, um, but it didn't stop that imposter from, you know, like once it was too late and it was already out there that I was like, Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> like, well, yeah. And you know, when obviously we're talking about deep topics here, usually is that, um, when we're queued up to talk about something that's very emotional and very deep that I'm like, I, I can't talk about this unless I do the work Mm -hmm. and, um, that I can't sit here and say, I don't have imposter syndrome. What do you mean? Uh, that it's a mirror. Yeah. It's, it's an absolute mirror. And that, um, yeah, part of the struggle around all of it is, uh, it's intimidating, but it also is starting to become really exciting, uh, because it's not about like a destination, it's about who you get to become on your way there. Right. You know, that, and I'm like, so excited to share that with our listeners yes. and hopefully there's a lot of you, but even if there's not, if we could just help one person that, that would be so exciting. Well, and already just the, um, the communication or the feedback that we get on social media, like when we do put out a writing prompt or, um, ask people about how their experience has been with some of these topics, I'm so excited to celebrate 
breakthroughs. And I'm so inspired by the answers that come back to us. Or sometimes it's like, it's something that we've already said on air. They just say it in a completely different way or from a different angle where I'm like, oh my God, I'm learning just as much, you know, from the feedback that we get back. So yeah, this, uh, this whole process of producing the podcast has definitely been good for my imposter syndrome because, um, there's a educator, uh, his name is Hans. Uh, he teaches haircutting. Um, and Hans always taught that there's a crazy bitch that lives in your head (laughs) and that she chatters on, you know, and that sometimes you have to shush that crazy bitch and tell her bitch, I am not listening to you anymore. Like I got this. I don't need you in my head. And that the more you separate yourself from that voice that's telling you the garbage, the more quiet it gets. And eventually you kill her and she is dead and she's replaced with this person who doesn't need that constant narrative anymore because they know who they are. And so that's always been, and I heard that very young in this industry, you know, when the bitch was loud and (laughs) she was, uh, and so, yeah, I love this idea that, uh, you, the more you can separate yourself from the feeling, the more you isolate it until it just can't breathe anymore. You know, you suffocate it out. Um, well there, that's, that, that's all about my imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, big time imposter syndrome, uh, with doing this, but I'm so happy and grateful to be here. I'm, I'm grateful for anyone who will listen and hopefully learn from our experience that if we could just help anybody in that capacity, that this will all have been worth it. Yeah, totally. I'm into it. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening today. We can't wait uh, to talk to you again next week for some more uh, deep felt uh, resolving of our own issues. And uh, I'll have a badass day. Bye.